Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, good morning, church. As David uh, said, my name is Gabe Cranston, and I'm the last of four guys who had the honor and the privilege to go through a preaching cohort, which really means i am got a lot of tough acts to follow here. So, But uh, that was my wife, Erin, uh, who just read the scripture to you, a little bit about us. Well, I, actually, any of you who know us as a couple, you probably know her a lot better than you know me for... Well, a couple of reasons. She's A, she's the pastoral assistant here, which means she pretty much knows everything about everything that's going on in Heights community, and she does a lot of the setup and coordinating and errands for the pastors and stuff. But also, she is just more outgoing than I am and more interesting, has a better personality. <laughs> I don't work for the church. I am a subcontractor for Amron, which basically means I'm just a I work on the supply chain side of how the Midwest gets their electricity. I can't really explain that in a more interesting way, so I'm just going to stop right there. Because <laughs> I'm kind of boring. And I'm a little awkward and shy. So, <clears throat> uh, Yeah, I did want to give a shout-out to the cohort here. Because these guys have been supporting me so much. Uh, Don, Joey, Justin, and then Corey and David. I, there's no way I would be able to do this without their support and the Holy Spirit using them to teach me and guide me. So, thank you guys. Aaron and I are a part of the Burdick Creek Missional Community. Love those people. I was hoping for a bigger shout out than that, but I guess <laughs> that'll be for the second service. Uh, um, we've been coming to Heights for about five years on and off. So, uh, a little bit about Aaron and I. We do have three kids. That's our family. Emery's the oldest. He's 10. Josie's five, Sawyer's three. They do uh, keep us on our toes quite a bit. Aaron and I have been together for, well, shoot, 12 years or so. And we've been married for a little over two. Yep. Yep. <laughs> now, if you remember, I said Emery's 10, Josie's five, Sawyer's three. So you could say that we did things a little backwards, and that's really just a secular, cute way of saying that we were living in sin, and we were willfully being disobedient. I'm not trying to make light of that. It's not a joke, okay? And honestly, it wasn't until I feel, felt convicted about it a few years ago that I even tried to change or repent. I mean, it's obvious. There's proof that we were living in sin. We were living together. We had kids before we got married, and it was, it was like everything felt, I don't even know how to put this, like God was slapping me in the face with the gospel that I was just rejecting the whole time. <clears throat> I knew I was living in the wrong. 
I had a damaging lifestyle, and it was probably uncomfortable for a lot of our friends because we, like I said, we were coming to Heights on and off for five years, and we were having this lifestyle. I don't, I don't know what it was like, but everybody kept supporting us through it. So thank you to those people. But I was so backwards and kind of self-righteous about it. I was offended. I was like, how dare these people judge us by my lifestyle? They're not perfect. Not that that matters. We're not comparing sins here. But after a while, a couple years ago, something clicked. And God, like I said, he slapped me in the face with the gospel. And he used, he used my wife as a way to open my eyes towards him. I'm not going to get too much further into my story because we just don't have that much time. It would take a while. But I do want to say it is a beautiful, beautiful, incredible example of the gospel and an amazing story of redemption and restoration. It may sound like I'm bragging there, and I am. I'm definitely not bragging about myself, though. All right, I'm bragging about Jesus Christ, y'all. He's the hero of this story, not me, not even my wife, okay? So no matter how bad you mess up and continuously sin over and over and over, he's still going to pursue you. He's not giving up on you. He loves us, and that never stops. See, I grew up in the church. I was raised a Baptist. I had a conservative upbringing, and I thought I would be the one to lead my wife closer to Jesus, and it was the other way around. Like I said, God used the story, the gospel through my wife because even though I kept sinning and failing her and breaking her heart just as I was Jesus's over and over and over, neither of them ever stopped pursuing me. They didn't give up, and they should have. They had plenty of opportunity to. It's pretty obvious that I married up because <laughs> I got married. It's okay if you say amen to that. <clears throat> oh, guys. All that is to say, sorry, I shouldn't tap. I've got a note here that says don't tap. I, I tap a lot. So last week, Don had a note that says don't stand at attention. I probably should stand at attention. <laughs> But anyway, I just want to say, after a couple years of just having one foot barely in the church and the rest of my body trying to run out, it's so crazy that I'm up here today. And there's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. That had nothing to do with me. So today we're, we're going to start getting into some scripture that clearly draws a line in the sand with what Jesus did for us and how we need to respond. It's cut and dry, and he gives us two, two options. We can experience the wrath of Jesus, or we can experience his mercy. And I'm not talking about heaven and hell for the skeptics out there. This isn't too fire and brimstone yet. We'll, we'll get to that. Hold on. I'm talking about right here on earth today. Today, we can taste his mercy and his grace or something far, far worse. And that brings us to the big idea for today. The big idea is experience the wrath of Jesus or experience the mercy of Jesus. The big idea breaks down into a couple points, leads us to a couple points, which is how the church responds to Jesus' covenant with us, 
and how the church prepares for Jesus' return. Okay? So the big idea, experience the mercy or the wrath. Does everybody know what the wrath means? I mean, you probably know what the word means, but what I'm referring to is God's wrath. God, all-powerful, all uncreated being, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, he's going to declare judgment on us. So imagine the worst day of your life, maybe last year during COVID. Imagine what that was and multiply that by a million. Hard to imagine because we've never experienced it, but it's going to be like that. Okay, now does everybody know what mercy means? Okay. Well, in this, in this point, in this aspect, mercy is God knows that we deserve his punishment and his judgment, but he loves us so much that he's going to save us from it instead, even though we deserve it. All right. Experience the wrath or experience the mercy. I know that sounds like, whoa, kind of fire and brimstone and a little intense, you know? The skeptic that I used to be would immediately hear this and just dismiss it and be like, okay, this dude, this is old school. He's just trying to scare me into salvation. Does it sound kind of scary to you? I mean, I'm not trying to scare anybody into salvation, but it should only be that frightening if you fall on the wrong side of this equation. It's simple math. You have two roads presented in front of you. You either follow Jesus or you don't. Like I said, it's only scary if you choose the latter. So if this sounds like some sort of tacky scare tactic, like, you need to repent or perish, (laughs) sit there and think about why it might sound that way to you. Because for me, I'm pumped. I'm pumped because I love Jesus. (laughs) My sermon isn't really filled with a bunch of big words or crazy concepts that new Christians or unbelievers don't understand. It's, it's pretty simple. Paul keeps it simple in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. So we're going to jump into it right here. At the beginning, Paul's teaching the Thessalonians, he's reminding them about what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Because they were afraid that those that died before Jesus came back in their lifetime, the people who died were just doomed for all eternity. The only reason why they would think that is because of false teachings. And so they're asking Paul to write back, like, hey, we need an answer here. So in verse 1 and 2, he addresses this, and he kind of makes him sound a little silly. He says, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul's telling them not to worry. You already have an answer, right? You know what's going to happen. So stop ignoring that answer by asking for some sort of made-up solution that you don't actually need. We were promised that God's coming back. We just don't truly know when it's going to be. Like a thief is what Paul says. I mean, we don't ever expect to be robbed, but we lock our doors at night, right? We do want to try and prevent it. Verse 3 While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. This is referring to how unexpected and devastating, disparaging, literally the worst things imaginable will happen, and nobody's going to escape it. 
Paul does a pretty good job at making that comprehensible with labor pains. But when I read this, the first thing that popped into my head was uh, this quote from one of my favorite movies called Black Sheep. It's with Chris Farley. And there's the two main characters are riding in a car, and they're, they might be under the influence of something. And a bug hits the windshield, and that just, like, freaks them out, and they can't get over it. And the one guy's talking about it, and he's saying, man, what's that like? And Bug's just flying along thinking, my life is good, my life is good, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, dead. <laughs> we don't truly know when Jesus is coming back, but when he does, dude, it's going to be like a windshield to a bug. Only the impact's going to last a lot longer, like pregnancy pains, like Paul said. I don't know what that's like because I'm not a woman, but I'm sure any woman here who's had a baby can tell you. It's painful. <laughs> In the reading material that uh, Paul and Corey provided us, the cohort, uh, there's a section on there that the author explains that if we as Christians knew when Jesus was coming back, we would be deadbeat Christians. There was a, I had to do like a dress rehearsal of my sermon for our MC, the missional community. Um, and one of the guys said, I don't know if this is my age, but I'm not sure what deadbeat means. Could you explain that? And I was like, really? <laughs> Thankfully, his wife was like, no, he doesn't need to, but I'm going to say it anyway. I looked it up because I was like, I don't know, deadbeat, like what the actual definition is, but it's a feckless or irresputable person, irreputable person. So deadbeat is just, you know, there's certain words I had written down that Corey was like, oh, you can't say that, but I was going to say piece of Christian. <laughs> anyway, we would be deadbeat Christians. Back on track here. See, if, if we knew that Jesus' return was going to be way outside our lifetime, like thousands of years from now, we would be an indifferent church. We would be an indifferent church. There'd be no motivation for sanctification, no urgency in sharing the gospel. We just wouldn't care. I mean, we would think, well, Jesus isn't coming back in my lifetime. I mean, he's not coming back in my grandchildren's lifetime, so why bother? What's the point in making disciples? I feel like that's kind of the lifestyle a lot of us live today. We're just indifferent. We think... Yeah, we know Jesus is coming back someday. But that's what we've been taught as Christians. But it's already been a couple thousand years, and he's still not back. So chances of him coming back these days are slim to none, right? Doesn't that make you guys feel complacent? Or am I the only one? Because I do have that. Like, I keep that in the back of my head. It's like an afterthought. It's just on the back burner. Yeah, God's coming back someday. I'm not worried about it. I'm going to, you know, do my best, but afterthought. That's deadbeat Christians, y'all. And I think I would know, being one for so long. <laughs> Shoot, I didn't know I was going to get so much laughs. Yikes, guys. I'm just saying, man, maybe we better pray that he doesn't come back tomorrow. Because I don't think some of us are ready for it. On the flip side, though, if we knew he was coming back in our lifetime and we were just counting down the days and the minutes, I think we would be a panicked church. 
we would be freaking out nonstop. I mean, okay, pretend, okay, we know Jesus is returning in 2023 on August 3rd at 10 a.m. All right, so we've got less than two years. There's so much living I want to do still, you know? Everybody's going to be freaking out the whole time. And you're not going to be focusing on living for Christ. You're certainly not going to be focusing on Jesus in the way you should be. You're going to be scared. There's going to be a lot of panic. There's going to be a lot of confusion. There's going to be a lot of chaos. You know who causes chaos and confusion? It's, yeah, thank you. It's not Jesus. It's not God. He keeps his promises. We would be deadbeat Christians. We would be scared and we would have no faith. No, that's not how we're supposed to live. Paul tells us just exactly how we're supposed to live in verse 4 through 8. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We need to be ready. We need to be an expectant church. We need to be an expectant church for you believers out there. We don't know when it's going to be, so we need to be, excuse me, we need to be prepared at all times. We need to live like we're anticipating Christ's return tomorrow, or in an hour, or in a minute. When my wife and I were, not when I'm, not me, she was the only one pregnant. When she was pregnant with our firstborn, Emery, yeah, we were scared to death too, like the Thessalonians were, but we, we didn't know what we were doing. We were trying to prepare as best we could, and granted, this is a little different having a baby than Jesus' return, because we got a pretty good idea of when this baby's going to come. We don't know exactly. Emery was two days late, so that threw us off a little bit. Due date came, and no baby came and went. Day after, yeah, there were some contractions, but nothing major. No baby. And then another day, more contractions, but we went to the hospital. They were like, yeah, he's not coming yet. So we just went and ran errands, ended up at Old Navy just to browse and more contractions, so we went back to the hospital, and finally, 10 hours later, 10 hours later, Emery came. Now, when, when Aaron was pregnant, yes, we were living in sin, but we did the best we could to prepare. You know she did a ton of research, just like all you other new moms out there that or the first time you had a baby, you probably read all these books like what to expect when you're expecting or did a lot of research on what the best stroller to buy or the safest car seat, changing table, no changing table. Is a bassinet necessary? I don't know. <laughs> but are you, are you living with that much anticipation of Christ's return? Yeah. I mean, you've got a good idea of when a baby's coming. Yeah. You have no idea when Christ is coming. Are you anticipating that much for God to come back while you're just out running around doing errands at Old Navy, spending money on junk you don't need? Unless it's for the baby. <laughs> I mean, if you're prepping that hard for a baby, you need to be prepping for Jesus. Yes. 
Be awake and be sober. Do not live the rest of do not live the way that the rest of the world is living. Don't be caught sleeping when the Lord comes back. That's how Paul puts it. That brings me to my next point, which is how the church prepares for Jesus' return. Am I tapping too much? I'm really nervous about it. <laughs> how the church prepares for Jesus' return. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. That's an old song from the 90s. I don't know if anybody remembers it. I sure do. In Justin's sermon, he was the first guy in the cohort to preach. It was a few weeks ago. He spoke about how whether or not your coworkers know if you're a Christian just by your lifestyle. Anybody else wrestle with that? Or was, was I the only one? Because I know it sounds simple and Anybody who might have grown up in the church has probably heard something similar like that. Like, oh, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would you be found guilty? That sort of thing. But you got to really think about that. Would you? I wrestled with that because I honestly was scared to know the answer. I almost asked my coworkers, hey, do you guys know I'm a Christian? I know you've heard me talk about church, but can you tell? I didn't. I was too scared. Guys, if we're Christians, we should not be blending in with unbelievers. We need, and we need to be radically different. So this scares me a little bit here because I read some statistics. And I'm not going to get too specific here, but I need to ask, why are there statistics showing that the number of Christian men and non-Christian men being addicted to porn virtually identical. Addicted to porn. Not just like, yeah, I've, I looked at it once because I was a little... No, addicted. Also, why is the divorce rate in the church and outside the church practically the same? In America, at the very least. What about adultery? Or substance abuse? You are welcome to fact check me on any of this. That's messed up. That's, that's being a deadbeat Christian. Again, I would know, because I used to be one. I still am sometimes, but a lot of those things I just listed, I'm guilty of some of them. We need to be radically different. If there was a uh, not-yet-Christian who was comparing their lives with somebody they knew as a Christian and couldn't tell the difference between the two, and it's probably just because there isn't a difference between the two. Neither one of you might not be Christians. Now, what if that person, who is not yet a Christian, is interested in becoming one, but the only example they have of what a Christian is is your lifestyle, and it looks really similar to theirs, that's going to be really confusing for them. And one step further, that's going to be damaging. Because what if they say, okay, well, if that's all it takes, and then I, all I got to do is say, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. And now they're going to go witness to other people and try and make disciples. This is going to be so backwards because they're going to tell all these other people that, oh, yeah, you want to be a Christian? All you got to do is say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I think I'm a Christian. And just identify as one. And now you have all these unbelievers who think that they're Christians, but they're not at all. Dude, that's... 
That's literally doing the devil's work for him. You're certainly not leading those people to God's mercy. You're definitely showing him, showing these people his wrath. And that's what you're bringing him to. That's messed up. That's, that's the exact opposite of what Paul is telling the Thessalonians to do. I don't know. That, that scared me when I thought about that because I, I can't nail down a specific time in my life, but I'm pretty sure somebody, I told somebody that I was a Christian and then did nothing to show them that I was actually a Christian. I had to do a lot of repenting when I read that. We need to be an expectant church. Paul writes, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. We belong to the day, he says. We love God, we love others, and we make disciples who make disciples. Who make disciples. Who make disciples. That's how we need to live. If we're sharing the gospel and being on mission, that is what's going to fill us with passion. Now, don't hear me say that because I do good works, I'm a Christian. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's the other way around. Once we respond to Jesus' mercy that he lays out for us, that would cause us, once we accept it, to live the way we're supposed to be, be an expectant church. I'm not saying it's easy. If it were easy, we'd all be Christians. But it is what, it's the only thing that should drive you in life. It's the only thing you truly, truly need. I'm going to paraphrase Matthew 7, I think it's 13, 14. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate, and only a few will find it. Paul talks about putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. It's Paul eloquently saying what I try to just say now is how you need to live prepared. This is also brought up in Ephesians regards to wearing the whole armor of God. Faith, hope, and love, those are three essential ingredients for living as a Christian. God's promise of Jesus' return in the future should command how we're living in the present. People, get ready. Jesus is coming. (laughs) That's how the church, us, prepares for when Jesus is coming back. The future is Jesus. He is going to return. So you remember back when I was talking about how Jesus is the hero of my story? He's the hero of all of our stories, each and every one. Not you. You're not the hero of your own story. It's Jesus. Because he sacrificed himself for us. Because he loves us that much. I deserved his wrath. Definitely by my lifestyle, I was earning it. But because of the grace and mercy he gave me, I won't be receiving it. Thank you, Jesus. He saved me because he loves us. He loves me so much. He took all that wrath that was meant for you, that was meant for me, just so we could experience his mercy. That brings us to the good news here. Verse 9 and 10, Paul writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Dude, that's a gospel right there. Paul's telling these guys, telling the Thessalonians, hey, 
You remember Jesus? Remember who he is? Remember how he died on the cross for our sins to save us? That's what's going to save you from his wrath. So don't worry about the people who have passed away. You can settle down some. Jesus has you covered. This is like Pastor Corey preaching a couple weeks ago on sanctification. I think that was the beginning of chapter 4. Jesus chose us, and he gave himself for us so that his church is destined to heaven, not to his wrath. We're given this gift, and therefore we live out the good works. It's cause and effect. God sacrificed his own son so that Jesus would take all that wrath for us. Jesus was perfect, though. He didn't deserve it. He was the only person in all of history who did not deserve this wrath that God had coming for us. But he willingly took it, willingly, so that we could be saved. That is why he's the hero in your life. Because you're not perfect. He is. And he, he, didn't, he didn't deserve it. And are you going to do that for one of your friends? And are you going to do that for a stranger? No matter how wretched you've been, or how awful you are, or how awesome you might think you are, you deserve this wrath, and you do not need to experience it. You can experience Jesus' mercy. He took that wrath, so you didn't have to. The real kicker here, though, is Jesus died for us, yes, but he rose again. He beat death. I'm no expert on Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or any lower, other lowercase god, but they all died and they all stayed dead. I know that's corny, but I'm keeping it in here. I kept, I kept debating whether or not to keep it out, but it's true. Jesus beat death. So for the skeptics out there, if you're offended by the possibility of experiencing this wrath, this fire and brimstone, well, Jesus, who is perfect, mind you, Jesus took it willingly. So if you're offended by that, then what are you, are you above Jesus? No, you're not. Just, just so you know, you're not. <laughs> Paul does include in there that uh, we might live with him, live with him. Like I said, Jesus died on the cross for us because that's what we deserve, but he loved us. He wanted to give us his mercy, and then he rose again. Now, he didn't just go into heaven and leave us on earth. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He knew that in being an expectant church, living for God, we need to be... Oh, I skipped a part. Whoop. <laughs> We need to be ready, but we can't do this alone. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. See, it's, it's easier to say that than to feel it sometimes, but Jesus knew that as well. The Holy Spirit is with us all the time. You are never, ever alone. Because of Jesus' response, he took the wrath meant for us so that we can experience the mercy. Jesus prepared the way for us because he knew there was no way we could do this on our own. Lastly, Paul explains in verse 11 to encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. 
He's talking about the church being expectant and living for God. Be in community together. You need to hold each other accountable. You need to support each other just as you are doing. I like to think that this is an area that I can brag about heights. Um, I think we're really good at this. Me personally, Aaron and I have been in the same MC missional community since we've been going to Heights, and it's evolved a few times, but we've been in the same missional community, and like I said, we've only been married for a couple years. The time where we weren't and where we were living in sin, we were still showing up to MC, and they were still welcoming us, and they were supporting us, and they were loving our family well, and that probably was really uncomfortable for some of these people. I want to call out specifically uh, the Franzes, Chris Franz, um, him and I, like, we, we were never close, and we, we got along just fine, but we were vastly different. Like, when he and, he and I first met, he just thought I was some punk who wore too tight of clothes and had my nose pierced and a mullet, and he was like, this dude's... He was just jealous. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt he was jealous. But... Him and I weren't close, and he, he never gave up on us. I don't know why. I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit nudging him like, hey, you need to be here for this guy because he needs some help. And he was. Chris was there. Also, Jeff Nail. A long time ago, Jeff and I knew each other from college. We weren't ever super close, but when Heights first started, Jeff was always asking me to like hang out, maybe be a part of this new church, Hey, I want to hang out, and I would always dodge them. I would always come up with some lame excuse as to not hang out with them because I was running away and I was scared. And he was constantly just like, "Hey, man, you want to come hang out? You want to come be a part of this church?" No, no, no. I don't know why he kept asking me. He certainly did not. I would have given up on me if I were him. But that's that's the church supporting one another, even though I wasn't really a part of it. I am now, and they never gave up on me. And that's how we need to live, in community, together. Missional community is really important to what we do here. I was supposed to say this back in my intro, (laughs) kind of skipped over it, but if you don't know what a missional community is, come find me or a staff member, anybody with a Heights shirt on, because we'll, we'll get you plugged in. You need to get plugged in if you're interested in our church because showing up here on Sunday is just a really small part of what we do. In being in community with each other and holding each other up, Paul's saying you also need to not be divided, as in maybe not have a hundred different denominations believing slightly different things, making the line so blurry as to what even means to be a Christian anymore. Because we've twisted the word of God so much sometimes, to fit our own narrative and our own agenda that some churches aren't even explaining the gospel anymore. We need to build each other up, not isolate ourselves. So Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians here, reminding them that you you guys are doing things right. And it was tough for them. They were actually being persecuted and suffering. But he was saying, like, you need to stay there with each other. You need to be there for one another. He makes it pretty clear 
K-I-S-S. If you know what that stands for, you can watch an episode of The Office. Dwight Schrute will explain it to you. <laughs> I know this, when I wrote this, I thought, man, this sounds kind of, kind of harsh, a little intense. And Corey is like, no, 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 it's not at all. And you can't be soft. This is the truth. This is the word of God. I guess I'm just preaching to myself because being the deadbeat Christian that I used to be, this hit hard for me. And I couldn't say all this like about doing the devil's work if I wasn't preaching myself because then I would just be the biggest hypocrite on earth. But that just forces me to come back to the, the big idea here, which is we will experience either Jesus' mercy or we will experience Jesus' wrath. You can respond in only two ways. It's like, it's like if you had a final exam coming up for a class, your hardest class that you know nothing about and you definitely didn't study. The teacher knows you didn't study. The teacher knows you're going to fail. And then the teacher just says, hey, you can pass, it's fine. Why would you not accept that? That is what Jesus' mercy is. He has that for us. He gave that for us so that you didn't have to take on this wrath. Thanks for sitting in with me today, guys. Let's pray real quick. Whew. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for all these people. Thank you for giving us this space to do this today. I just want to ask that you bless everybody here today. Uh, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak your word today. Just ask that it was glorifying to you. Uh, Lord, I just want you to remain as my center. My life for you, not my life for me. Thank you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.